I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In this episode, it is the Week in Review. We will be talking about various things, uh, mostly movies, that we have been watching since the holidays. Yeah, it's more like weeks in yeah. review. Yeah, uh, we got a lot to, to go over, a lot to share uh, with you. Over a dozen different movies and TV shows to share with you. Shanna, you have a, a, a couple things to talk about. Why don't you get us started? What is your week in review? All right, my first one is available on Hulu. It is Alaska Daily, starring Hilary Swank, Grace Dove, Jeff Perry, Meredith Holtzman, Matt Malloy, Pablo Castablanco, and Amy Park and Craig Funk, just to name a few. There are a lot of faces in this show. It's really great. There's about six episodes available, and I thought that was how it was going to end, but apparently there's just like a nice big break, and they're coming back in either end of January or February, I think. Yeah, February 23rd, they'll be back uh, for the rest of it. Uh, looks like another four episodes to wrap it up. This is about a, a journalist that is moving to, to work at a newspaper in Anchorage. Something happens at her old place, and so she needs a fresh start. And it turns out that this fresh start is going to be helping uh, Grace Dove's character figure out what is going on with the missing indigenous woman in the area. So I like this show. I think it's a bit of a slow start, but because half the half the episode is spent on the missing indigenous woman case, essentially, and then the other half is like other things that happen in a small town and how they report on that. So it's very report driven. And so we're seeing the local stuff, the what happens if you piss off the politicians or the army generals that you have a relationship with as a newspaper, and then the something much larger that needs attention, the indigenous woman missing. So I'm enjoying that show. I can't wait to see how it ends. So how did you discover this show? Apparently it's yeah. nor it airs on ABC, and then Hulu uh, eventually gets the episodes. Yeah, so I think that works with all the ABC shows. Like okay. everything goes to Hulu, so you get the latest episode. That's the same thing with the Shondaverse as well, I believe. So I heard about this show when I went to a Zonta meeting. And mm -hmm. they were talking about different issues that women and young girls were facing. And this is one that's very much on their mind with the missing indigenous really? woman and so they spoke about how go check out that show tell us what you think now i'm not part of zonta yet but you know they talked about various other issues as well like how child brides are still a thing in the usa in certain states and you know the best way that i can learn about something is through a tv show and then i ask my own questions and do my own research afterwards and hear from professionals so that's how I heard about it. And to clarify, in case people don't know, Zonta is a service organization, a service club that particularly tries to help with issues regarding uh, women. Anyone identifying as women, girls. 
and and issues that women have in is it's international, right? Yeah, there's different chapters around the world. Gotcha. So that's how you learned about it, and so you've seen all the episodes that have aired at this point in in the first season. Is that right? We're in the first season. Yeah, I don't know why they're having a gap. Okay. Well, a holiday hiatus. That that sometimes happens. Well, I hope they had a very refreshing holiday. <laughs> it's a very long. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I like, I got to episode six and I was like, this can't possibly be how it ends, and I had a little freak out. So you recommend? I recommend this show. Go check it out. All right. What else have you been uh, watching over the past uh, couple weeks? Uh, the next one I watched was on Netflix, the original Wednesday show. It is about six episodes, I believe. Uh, no, I'm sorry, nine episodes. It's all about Wednesday from the Adams family, and we're following her on her journey to boarding school, where she's going to grow her community, her friends, and it's very interesting. It's, I love it. I don't think it's too much like Sabrina the Teen, uh, what they did with Sabrina. Which you do love. I do the love The Chilling that one. Adventures of I'm Sabrina. wearing that shirt right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I need a Wednesday shirt next. But I love it. I think that Jenna Ortega as Wednesday is amazing. We've well, also got Christina Ritchie come comes and is a character there. See if you can find out see if you can figure out who she is. It's a lot of fun. And then Gwendolyn Christie is the principal. And then Jenna Ortega's co star is Emma Myers, and I was impressed with her. Uh, you had a question? Yeah, I was just asking who, who all stars in it. And Do you see the entire Adam, Adams family in this show? Oh, yes. And it's it's not a big deal. I mean, you're taking your child, like any show, you're taking your child to boarding school. The whole family is going to be there, uh, the immediate family. And then uh, I won't say anything else about, so, about other family members because okay. it could happen. It could not. It's a surprise. So, but the show is mostly taking place at this boarding school. It is. There's a mystery element to it, mm-hmm. and we really get to see what is Wednesday's view of the world. I think that I need to watch Adam's Family Two again, but I feel like they're taking that and they're just amplifying it over here. Um, the particular scene where she puts on the Thanksgiving. Yeah, they're supposed to put on a skit, a Thanksgiving uh, skit, I guess. Um, In the movie. Some sort of a camp that they're at. It's been a while since I've seen. You're referring to Adam's Family Values from from 1993, I believe it is. A long time ago. Yeah, and so anyway, the, the really great and good parts and justice parts of Wednesday are really amplified in this show. So I think it's fantastic. So I highly recommend it. Let's let's take a step back. Now, the Adams Family are based on a, car, uh, a comic. And from that, a sitcom in the 60s adapted that, the, the comic. And it became a huge cultural sensation. And there was cartoons, one starring Jodie Foster as Pugsley back in the 70s. And then you had the revival of it, the movie based on the TV show, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, right? Which had, I believe, a score by Danny Elfman, if I recall. That sounds about right. And that had a sequel, Adam's Family Values. Now... Uh, that took basically uh, that modernized the concept of the sitcom, right? 
and just aged up the kids by just a couple years because I think Wednesday Adam originally was around six to eight years old and mm. and in the early 90s she was more like a tween or something like that right around 12 years old all in the spirit of still the the sitcom where it's the family that's creepy and kooky and all together ooky and how do they react with the real world how is this show as that is it trying to be darker and more violent or is it still in the spirit of the original sitcom which was in the spirit of the comics there are happy moments in this it's not altogether incredibly violent this is a school where it's alternate kids so you have the werewolf kids and the vampires and okay but they don't make a cliche deal of it it's just but everybody at the school is like that yeah i think there's one normie and and that's it but like mm. this is a very particular school where if you're you know not not necessarily not human but i don't know i don't know how to explain it further than that mm -hmm. the, there's different abilities yeah i'll leave it as a surprise but mm -hmm. i think that what we're doing is we're seeing wednesday's values so think about like okay yeah you've had all this time to get to watch the family together and Wednesday at these different ages. Well, now she's a teenager and she's going to come into her own. So it's kind of, it's this nice progression, I feel. Hmm. And her values are good. She doesn't emote a mm. lot. Mm. And that's okay because we're seeing that a lot more with kids nowadays and we're more accepting of it prior to like, you know, if you think about 30 years ago, that wasn't entirely celebrated. Well, I mean, it was a different that that's one of the things that made Wednesday Adams and the Adams family in general fairly unique is yeah, Wednesday Adams was the Solon child, right? Uh, very I don't want to say goth, but very much uh, interested in in things that are not the norm, right? If if uh, you loved cheerleading, she loved whatever the opposite of that would be. You know? Well, and what I like about the show is they're kind of, you know, you find out why she is the way she is in like, why is she making these choices to be a certain way and to practice certain things? It all makes sense. And mm. I'm rather fond of it. So I, they've been renewed for a second season and I can't wait to see what happens. All right. And you had one more show to share, right? Yeah. Truth Be Told is available on Apple. And I just blew through the first two seasons. The third season is coming, I think, at the end of the month. Yeah, the 20th. Oh, that's soon. And um, it stars Octavia Spencer as a, I guess, investigative journalist turned investigative journalist podcaster. The first season is about her sort of correcting, helping put away a kid that was not guilty of a crime. Some footage appears in the first few minutes. Uh, revealing that oh the the accusation was coached and this isn't actually who did it and so she has to spend that season trying to figure out well who really did kill so and so mm. and get to the bottom of that and that was very interesting I liked how that season unfolded and 
was very excited to just jump into the next season. The following season has Kate Hudson starring next to her. And they're dealing with, again, another murder and trying to figure out, well, who did it? And I like how they're... Think of, like, murderers in the building. And it's just, you know, a smaller cast. And it's it's not all happening in one property, you okay. know? So I rather like it. It also has... Does it have... Are you suggesting it has as light a tone as only murders in the oh, building? Oh, no, it's more dramatic. Okay. Definitely more on the drama side. But, you know, incorporating podcast, investigation, murder mystery. Uh-huh. I feel like that's like a new category. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And is there anything else you want to share about that show? No, I, I highly recommend it. It's It's great for people who love crime who love investigative stories you could even look into it a little bit about from the journalistic perspective like okay well where are the ethics with this with regards to if the police are doing their investigation and you're doing your investigation and you're releasing a new episode every week well what are the what is attached to that and is that a good thing or a bad thing Uh, and it looks like the third season is going to deal with missing children possibly or a missing child uh teenager it looks like so are both seasons just as good one better than the other you feel the show getting better i I like both of them because Uh the first season's great it's dealing with from octavia spencer's perspective it's like oh i'm gonna get into the groove of figuring this out and here's how i'm gonna do the podcast i think she had been podcasting already but now she was shifting Mm. and then in the second season okay now she's known for helping solve the previous case and now she has this friend who whose husband was murdered and she needs to figure out what happened there so everybody already knows about her and she has she's in this groove and then we also get more of her family dynamics Mm. being explored and i enjoyed that Mm. and we're also learning more about her why is she the way she is and what happened in her past Mm. okay okay so to recap you uh had alaska daily Wednesday, and truth be told, Alaska Daily is on Hulu. Wednesday is on Netflix. Truth be told, it's on Apple TV+. Plus. I know. I just need something from the HBO category. <laughs> yeah. So how would you, which which one do you recommend the strongest and which one do you think is the weaker of well, the three? I feel anything? like, you know, out of the three, they're, they're all a mystery. So that's kind of cool. And two of them are like murder, kidnap mysteries. So... Wednesday's a little different compared to the other two. I think Wednesday's very entertaining and exciting and something familiar but also new. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend that one. And then Truth Be Told and then Alaska Daily. Maybe I'll have a better opinion of Alaska Daily once I finish the show. All right. So that is Shanna's Week in Review. My week are films. I caught up with first... Munage Daydream, which was a documentary I think came out in late summer. It was, I think, on IMAX screens. That was part of the marketing for that. And I kind of, part of me wishes we did get a chance. We were interested in seeing it in theaters, and we didn't get a chance to. I kind of wish we did get a chance to see it because uh, this is a gorgeous film. The visuals in this film, I, I understand why they had formatted it for IMAX is a documentary that it essentially creates a portrait of David Bowie. 
this thing I, I wrote about on the blog, the GibsonReview.com, in the best and worst of 2022 article. I did name it among the best films of the year just because what this film is able to do is take thousands of clips. I mean, just like there's thousands of cuts in this two-hour, 14-minute documentary. And through them, there is a chronological organization, but mostly it's a, it serves as a kind of a, a collage or a montage that creates a portrait of David Bowie, the artist, the singer, the performer, and what he was as a person and as an artist and why you might think he's significant to rock and roll and its history. But also, at times, it's somewhat of a, uh, a loving portrait of him. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's not just... It, it's kind of a loving tribute at times. There's these little moments that it it's definitely has a certain degree of warmth towards him. It's a little bit of an endurance test for some people, I think. <laughs> Shanna, you might be able to speak to that. Well, I think I was just tired that day, and it's, it's a lot of stimulation. There's a lot. Mm. They cram a lot into just 30 or 20 minutes. Yeah. And if you're a visually stimulated person, this is a lot, but it's also really interesting, and so maybe breaking it up is good for mm. someone like me. Yes, because you didn't, you weren't able to, you, you kind of walked out after a certain point because it was just so much, mm -hmm. right? And it's not like you're a huge David Bowie fan to begin with necessarily. You don't seek his music or performances. Well, I don't commit to anyone. Yes, you, yeah, so. <laughs> you're reluctant to, but we've discovered <laughs> certain people, you know, Pink being one of them, Johnny Cash being another, that you are a fan of, you do love. <laughs> But David Bowie's not necessarily one of them. So it wasn't like you were emotionally invested to begin with. No, but I mean, we had seen the trailer in the cinema and I was, it, I, interest was peaked. I just was not in the space to watch it. But does it dive into who he was or is it more just like following him? I feel like that's a tough question to answer directly. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a collage that includes interview, lots of interview footage uh, with him, lots of performance footage of him, lots of never before seen footage like of him. I think it's a non-traditional documentary. It, it it is, and this is what makes it such a special piece of film because what it does is it shows the power and the ability to take a a bunch of random images together, or a bunch of images in general together. And how, by doing so, you can create a portrait of a person and how you can illustrate who someone was. Mm. And I think that that is really worth acknowledging and celebrating. Also, I think the editors, I don't know who edited this film, how many people edited it, but it, it made my head spin the I, just the idea of having to edit all of these images together and keep them straight in terms of like 
we you know because there's also like some silence film footage too from okay. back in the silent era too like how to how to keep every single shot straight and organize everything in in a particular order mm-hmm. I, I i think it just it just boggles my mind so uh, while it's not a film that i personally love i think uh, it is definitely a film that i appreciate and think is one of the best of the year simply for what it is it's able to do and the craftsmanship behind it so i gave moonage daydream an eight out of ten yeah i can definitely appreciate the craftsmanship next i saw a horror film from i want to say fall that would make more sense called smile this is a shall i get up and leave the room i <laughs> You probably don't need to. This is a somewhat supernatural horror film in the vein of, oh, let's see, sort of the rain, but really more. It and follows. I'm getting up? No, no, no. It follows. Remember, it follows. You were a fan of it follows. I was. It has that sort of element to it. It's about a psychiatrist who wish who witnesses. Someone in, I want to say the hospital, who's coming to, who, who's coming for some help, mm-hmm. and how that person co- is absolutely terrified, goes from screams of horror to suddenly uh, standing very still, unlike themselves, with a very disturbing smile on their face as they kill themselves, uh. and. At, from that moment on, this psychiatrist seems to be terrorized by some sort of malevolent force. I think that Smile is a very interesting uh, horror film. It had quite the marketing <laughs> behind it. I did it, like the marketing. You should mention that. Well, what I do know about that is they would plant people in... Uh, sporting events or wherever there is a camera on the regular that could be relied on and have that person just stand up and smile for like without moving for like minutes on end yeah you know and you just see this person in the background that sort of thing and so anyway i think it did pretty well financially too It, it worked out for them I think that it is often a very effective and interesting film. I think what makes it interesting is it has this metaphor around it about mental health and trauma and the people who fail those who Mm -hmm. are suffering from it. You know, those, Mm -hmm. those, like at first I was writing notes like, why would why isn't anybody trying to help this person what okay. you know because there's someone someone who falls how it takes a horrible fall and people are just like staying away from that person rather than being like oh my gosh are you okay well, that's you know weird. anything like that right yeah but i think it's 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 all geared towards the metaphor right of people like failing to help those who have trauma or who mm. are uh, suffering from uh, mental issue, uh, mental illness of some kind. It has its flaws as a result, though. Um, it, it heavily relies on jump scares. Ah. 
it's one of those things where it's like, gosh, you know, if this movie would just take out the jump scares and just rely on the horror of the situation that is being presented and a lot of the, mm. lot of the footage and information of past victims and stuff, I think it would be just as uh, effective and just as chilling just without the constant uh, mini heart attacks happening here. <laughs> but I also get that that's kind of it's, it's needed to shake the main character out of her own mental stability. Right. Okay. So I, I kind of get that. And the third act is, does end in a very predictable way that I was hoping it would figure out how to do a left turn on. But I also understand in a way that that third act serves the bigger metaphor. So it's like I kind of go back and forth on these issues I have with it as a horror film. But I think it is very interesting film and entertaining and worth checking out. That is Smile. I give that film a 7 out of 10. Hmm. Very good. Lastly, for my week in review, in an attempt to try to catch up with... A lot of movies from last year before we did our our uh, year in review or before I published my best of the year article. I watched The Worst Person in the World, which I want to say is, gosh, which one is it? Is it? I want to say it might be a Swedish film, The Worst Person in the World. It came out at the beginning of last year. And... It's a Norwegian film. It actually takes place in Oslo, uh, Norway. It's also directed by um, Håkon Trier, who I believe this is like the third in a trilogy known as the Oslo trilogy of of movies that take place in that city. Stars Renata Reinsvig. I, I'm sorry uh, about the mispronunciation. I'm not familiar with uh, Nor- Norwegian pronunciations. But she, basically it's about a character named uh, Julie who, and, and follows her for a handful of years. She's a young woman in her late 20s through her early 30s. She's navigating uh, basically her life, her figuring out what she wants to do with her life the a couple of relationships she has in her life and kind of trying to figure out who she is. And I, I feel like, first of all, Renata is fantastic. You know, she's, she's a beautiful, she's gets this character. She is really great at the delivering some of the nuances of this character, just with little looks of, of, of uncertainty or what have you in, in different situations um, joy, frustration, anger, all sorts of things. She's she's solid in it, and I would like to see more work by her in the future. I think this film has some of the year's best imagery, which is not something I expected from a film like this. There's a shot that's shown kind of famously, not only on the poster, but also in the trailer of her running through the city or moving through the city and the entire city is is still mm. like people aren't moving or anything like that oh, it's kind of like this, cool she has this frozen in time moment where she's thinking uh, through something and uh, I, I, that is fantastic there's this famous image of her with somebody and one of them is smoking and uh 
and the other person is breathing the smoke into their mouth and it just creates this interesting smoke effect image oh. between the two of them uh there's there's sounds worth watching for the visual people the, like I mean, yeah there's it's it's few and far between but there are these particular images in, uh, peppered in the film that are some of the best of the year. Absolutely. I, I kind of saw the film kind of about the millennial generation, the, the young, the, the kind of, not young, 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 but kind of um, late 20s, early 30s aspect of the millennial mm-hmm. generation. Their uh, indecisiveness and the pressures also mm-hmm. put on to them mm-hmm. uh, too. Uh, but the movie also does really tip tor- heavily towards the relationship side of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, it mostly works for me. So okay. I really like it. it. I give it a 7 out of 10. It goes in a direction that some people find a little melodramatic. It's right on the edge as far as I'm concerned of that. But it's it's a good film um, that definitely looks at generational differences, too. So I recommend The Worst Person in the World. I believe it's on Hulu now, too. So okay. you can find it there. And that concludes my week in review. Shannon, now it's time to really dive in deep. We have a, a, a lengthy R week in review as we have been watching quite a bit ourselves. Let's start off with movies that we watched Closer to the holidays with Violet Night. This is a movie that we talked about in our year in review episode. Uh, We didn't give a full review of it, but if you've listened to that, you have a a pretty good idea of our our feelings toward this film. It is a, a film that stars David Harbour as Santa Claus, not a street corner Santa Claus, but the Santa Claus. He's delivering gifts, and one of the homes that he's delivering to is very happens to be like a wealthy mansion, more or less. And the, like the a compound. Yeah, and this There's home security and everything. Right, this home is under siege by high-end robbers led by Jean Leguizamo. Jana, your thoughts on Violent Night? You were the one who really wanted to see this. This was on your list. Uh, did it uh, satisfy, and was it everything you were hoping it would be? I love this film. You know, we didn't really see the origins of Santa, but we got to see a couple glimpses of mm, probably the Nordic history of Santa, so that was pretty fun. Mm. And I enjoyed how they wrote Santa. They made him this exhausted person who's been doing this for a long time and now there's enough change in children where all they want are video games for Christmas and that can be frustrating and the way that they illustrate those little things is really amusing too he's digging in his bag trying to find a weapon like a baseball bat or a hockey stick or something and it's video game video game video game video game and so I was like, that was really fun and clever to kind of get those messages across. You know, we start off with him in the bar, uh, just really tired of his work. And uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, the performances are great. The story is fun. The The violence is shockingly satisfying. Uh, what did you think it's of it? Shockingly satisfying? It's shocking and it's satisfying. There, there we go. That one. Yeah, uh, this was the -the over-the-top action comedy that I enjoyed most 
this year. It, it, it knows what it is. It's a little bit ridiculous, but it's it's a lot of fun. It, it's, it's it's just absolute blast. I, I highly and I got a little bit of satisfaction out of the matriarch. Play, being played by Beverly D'Angelo, yes. who, A, I don't see Beverly D'Angelo ever anymore. I could barely recognize her. But, B, she is most famous probably for being in the National Lampoon Vacation movies as Mrs. Griswold. When we had just listened to her do commentary on National Lampoon right. a few nights before. Right. The Christmas Vacation. The Christmas Vacation is dear to my heart. So it was really great to see her in this film. It is directed by Tommy Workola, who is not a director I'm familiar with. I don't know if this is a directorial debut or not. I'm looking him up right now. He's a d- director of like some small films and then like some really B movies like Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters, and Dead Snow 2, Red vs. Dead. Oh, he did the original Dead Snow also. I was not a fan of Dead Snow. There was a lot of fans of Dead Snow out there, uh, but I was not one of them. I did really enjoy this film, though. I definitely recommend it. It's probably like a 7 out of 10 sort of material, uh, but it's something that I enjoyed fully. It also isn't so, like, crass that it, it, it forgets its heart. There is a child at the center of everything that yeah. uh, has a connection with Santa. Yeah. So that's Violent Night. Next, we watched Babylon. I think that might be... Did, is that how we spent Christmas was watching Babylon? Yeah. yeah it felt <laughs> we like... decided it would be a good idea to go watch a three-hour movie. Yeah. It was the whole day. Uh, three hours, nine minutes, because we did stay through most of the credits, I believe. This is Damien Chazelle's latest film. Chazelle, of course, directed Whiplash and La La Land. Yeah. This is a film that ostensibly is about characters who are trying to make it in Hollywood at a time when the industry is transitioning from the silent era to talkies. It stars a considerable cast that includes Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Gene Smart, Olivia Wilde in for like a minute. <laughs> yeah, well yeah. Probably a lot of people <laughs> along those lines. Uh, Flea uh, is in it often. So many other people. I can't even keep track. You should just go to the IMDb. <laughs> and just keep diving in deeper yeah. and deeper. Shanna, do you think that this film was a out-of-control mess, <laughs> or do you think it actually measures up to Chazelle's other films? Well, I have to watch Whiplash again. Uh, here's what I thought about Babylon. It was absolute chaos, but it was controlled chaos. I loved seeing how films were produced where they would all be on the same lot and it would be completely different films, and because it was silent, mm-hmm. you could have six movies filming at the same freaking time and i just thought that that was absolutely insane and it kind of the production of it kind of reminded me of well is this what it looks like now for like streamer services when they're knocking out shows that is there something similar to it that that can be compared to and i thought that the the performances were great i like the first 20 30 minutes of this movie i looked at you and i said 
And I was just absolutely exhausted watching everything go on. And I was like, I swear to God, if there's a shit joke, I'm leaving. And, you know, it was it was interesting how I was putting up barriers. That was, was like, like the one of the first jokes. Yeah, well, it's an animal, so it's fine. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, if a person comes in, I'm out. Yeah, the score very much reminded me of La La Land. I actually had forgotten that it was the same director. And so it was driving me crazy. And then when I realized, oh, then I was kind of okay. But it felt it felt a lot like La La Land music. Hmm, really? Yeah. The story was fine. It was just, it was just, it was, it was absolute madness. It was absolute madness. And looking at all the faults that I have to research it, but it looks like there was a lot of shit that Hollywood did that they got away with people dying for stupid reasons. It's just a movie. And so... Uh, that was interesting to see. And then, you know, this fun, oh, we're now transitioning to sound and the amount of sound that you cannot have, like you can't even have someone tapping their foot uh, because the sound was so sensitive to record. On set. On set, yes. yeah. So yeah. That, that scene where she's going to call, the character's going to college. Yeah. I was like, that was intense. And the amount of freaking out at each other that was happening felt really real. Mm. So. You mentioned the the score. The score is by Justin Hurwitz, who did the score to every single Damien Chazelle film, including, sure. and I forgot this exists, First Man, which he won awards for that score. Oh, yeah. So he's basically Damien's guy when yeah. it comes to score work. It's a good team. You know, it's kind of like John Williams and Steven Spielberg. They're a really, really good team. And so it seems like, you know, this is a good team, too. So I hope they keep working together. So I think that this is, I, I think this is a really good movie. I, I think it is audacious. It is insane. It is a film that use, utilizes or ha- features every bodily fluid. <laughs> yeah. Every bodily fluid throughout the film. It, it's a film that ad- both adores the art of film and is critical of the excess the industry provides those who work in it. And boy, boy, oh boy, are the excess uh, elements of this story. Ooh. They go all over the place because... It goes hard. It goes hard. Remember later, it's so extreme. I mean, yes, I don't know if that exists, but if it does, Jesus... So yes, and there's some there's some surprise appearances throughout the film. This movie is a big swing. Mm. I don't think it's as clear a vision or as well executed as something like La La Land, yeah, and 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 maybe not even as well as Whiplash. But I do think it's better than First Man. It is definitely a movie you won't forget exists after you see it. I think it it is interesting. I mean, like. There's a lot that you could dive into with mm. this film. I, I'll avoid doing that. But I, I, yes, it's a movie that I don't think is at all bad, but it is it is long. It is long for sure. I don't know if it's too long, but it's worth taking the time. It's a, I think it's coming to the rental market and streaming in the not too distant future. I recommend yeah. not letting it slip through the cracks. I do like how it ends. I mm. did like that. Yeah. It, it oh, really felt well, full circle, and I don't think we can talk about it, but no, it, the it, way it ended was really great. It goes a little bit on the nose by literally calling out and showing a movie that this movie very much 
reminds me of yeah in 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 just it's the time period that's taking place but if you're a cinephile and you haven't seen this movie there's a lot that you're going to appreciate or at least should appreciate in this film so Mm -hmm. i i definitely encourage people to check it out that is babylon and next we have some rock docs we dove into to talk about the first one was Apple TV Plus's Selena Gomez, My Mind and Me. Not exactly the kind of rock doc that you might expect, but it is about someone who is apparently a singer and actress. Now, I went into Selena Gomez, My Mind and Me, knowing absolutely nothing really about Selena Gomez. I, I really am too old to have grown up with what a lot of people grew up knowing her as, I've never heard her music as far as I know. I only know her as a name and someone who co-stars on Only Murders in the Building. I really like her in Only Murders in the Building. So I was interested in this film, which is basically an intimate and occasionally moving look at this person and the challenges that she has been faced with over the past uh, few years Mm. and and especially at a time when she starts to be figure out who she is and what she's passionate about. Shannon, what did you think about Selena Gomez, my mind and me? Did you think that it it allowed you an opportunity to get an honest look at who this person is? Yeah, I felt like it was pretty genuine. I, I have a hard time reading her. Because I do think she's kind of closed off a little bit, even in this documentary. But I think that that's just a the nature of her life. Mm. I mean, she's been acting since she was, what, like six? She was in Barney. Yeah, like I a, can't remember how old, going. but yeah. Mm-hmm. I think she's a fantastic female entrepreneur in some sense to look at. Mm. You know, she's worked very hard and she's very young. And... I was familiar with some of her songs. I didn't watch her shows, but her songs, yes. And I thought that the documentary was just fine. It was a nice exploration of, well, how do I come out of the darkness? How do I, how do I find purpose? And what does that look like? And because her life isn't a a normal life, you know, Mm -hmm. being Mm -hmm. a star since six um, and she's in her twenties now. It's like, well, how do you find your roots? And, you know, you and I talked about this, but taking a trip to Africa, I think the African continent anyway, on the African continent, will make you feel more rooted, whether you want to feel that way or not. It mm. just it just does that. And whether or not you're doing service work, you will still feel something mm. when you land on that continent. And so it made sense to me that she felt so strongly that she just wanted to stay there. And honestly, I felt like, well, maybe just let her live there for a year. Let her live there for six months. Let her reset and then let her come back. Mm. So it was interesting seeing her team around her. I don't know how I feel about her team. If somebody tells me that they want to live in Africa, let them live in Africa. Uh, but that's just me with my experience. Um, it was a decent documentary. Nothing spectacular about it, but definitely kind of like Lady Gaga's documentary. Like, yeah, come and see what my life is like. Let me share this with you. I think I like this more than Lady Gaga's five foot ten documentary or five foot whatever it is. 
I think that this definitely gave me a better sense of who she is. You know, mm-hmm. she there, she is a little bit like Mabel in Only Murders in the Building. Not not fully. <laughs> that is not Selena. Maybe that's fully. why she took it. <laughs> but there is elements of Selena for sure in that character. You you could see in this documentary. Uh, and I do I, I do want to see her act in other things. I want to see her act more. But I do think after watching this documentary, philanthropy is her future. Should yeah. should the world give her the opportunity? Because the pandemic really kind of like slowed her role as far as that goes. You know, she was really ramping up to go in that direction and mm-hmm. pandemic happened. I think that this it's no secret to a lot of people that mental health is something that's very personal to her. And I really think that that is going to be her passion and and her drive and she's going she has a lot a lot ahead of her a lot of opportunity to do a lot of good and i i I definitely look forward to seeing what comes from her as far as that goes i think at some point we'll probably see a lot less of her entertaining and more her doing this uh this this philanthropic uh philanthropic work so i think that's that's great, and I, I I really do think that you get a sense of this isn't just like performing for the cameras. I do think she allows you to see her in her good days and her bad days, and that definitely lends to a certain credence of this is who Selena Gomez is. So mm-hmm. I, I appreciate it for that. I give Selena Gomez my mind and me an 8 out of 10. I definitely recommend, whether you're a fan or not, checking it out on Apple TV+. Next, we have The Go-Go's. That's literally the name of the documentary. (laughs) Tells you everything right there. It is about The Go-Go's, a band who was very popular in the early 80s and flamed out after three albums. What did you think? You did you first of all, Shannon? Did you even know anything about this band? Did you have any awareness of them? And how, how well did the documentary work for you? I knew some of the songs. Didn't know anything about who they were as people. The documentary. If you want to learn about the Go Go's, go go watch this. If you are the kind of person that wants to see how these people made an impact or a difference or how they fit into what was going on in society at the time that is not what you're going to get from this movie Mm. you're not going to get that it's really just a it's just a boring he has band member a he has band member b he has the drama that went on behind the scene we're saying sorry now and that's it there's nothing more to it. So you thought the film was boring? Yeah. Mm. I did not. I thought it was quite informative. You know, the movie takes 40 minutes just to get us to a point where the band that we, a lot of us came to know and love, is finally together in that in that way. And, and 45 minutes before they release their first album. I uh, so I, I I appreciate I mean like the a, a film that takes that long to really talk about the early days and who each of these bandmates were it is uh, something worthwhile. This isn't a very long film. I want to say it's like well, around 
Well, no, I think it actually is upwards of two hours. But I, I do think, though, that it does suffer by kind of like really rushing through the last 20 minutes of the of the film really kind of seems to rush through like the last couple decades. And as a result, it skims it skips right over 1990 to 2020, which I think it could have used an extra 10 minutes. Maybe it's an hour 40 minute documentary. I, I feel like it could have used an extra 10 minutes just on all of the lawsuits and stuff. And, and, and the fourth album, everything that happened between 1990 and, and 2020, because so much did happen in that time that it's actually remarkable that these women can still stand to be in the same room together. They apparently are, they never really broke up. They're still considered uh, a formed band and they're trying to put out new music even to this day. But it does, because the second half of it does skim over a large part of the time with them, I do think it suffers from that. So I give the Go-Go's a 7 out of 10. I give this a 4. Wow. Well, so definitely, you know, take take that with a grain of salt and... and you oh, know. take mine with a grain of no, salt. No, take both our ratings with a <laughs> grain of salt. You know, obviously there's a little bit of a range there. And uh, and do what you will with it. Uh, next, we the last rock doc that we saw was one that I've been meaning to see for some time. I didn't realize how long. It's been uh, oh, almost two years since I've been wanting to see this. It's called Tina. Is a HBO-produced documentary about tina turner Woohoo! we're gonna have context <laughs> go ahead go ahead talk about that sounds like it's to you the opposite of the <laughs> go-go's documentary we are talking about these movies in the order in which we watch them more or less and you know I, we watched selena and then we watched the go-go's and i was so disappointed and then we watched tina and i was so pleased because not only did we get to learn everything about her and everything that she worked on and did, but we got to learn about how all of that fit into the context of society mm. and what its impact was and what it meant for the world. Like it, It's great if you can listen to a song and feel something. Wonderful. It's even better if you can listen to a song, see the person, hear the person's story, and be affected by that mm. and their actions. And Tina, you know, I, I kind of compare it to Selena. She's like, she works, you know, she also is a very busy working woman, you know, and doing, doing a lot. She did movies. She did music. She did new music. She had to deal with real life bullshit. Mm -hmm. I, I love this documentary because we got to see how being a victim of domestic violence, she, spoke out about that there was a movie about her life and people wrote in and said that's happening to me and i saw mm. your story and you know you, there was impact there so i enjoyed that what did you think of it well i definitely i definitely agree with you about how this film has context and mm -hmm. for me what that means is it puts a lot of things that i i I grew up with, and I should actually probably explain. I, I grew up in the time of the 80s Tina Turner and how huge she was at that time and how, like, she was 
as big an icon in the 80s as Michael Jackson or Madonna. And like Michael Jackson, she had this past era, too. Kind of, that was, she was attached to, you know. So, putting into context things like where that solo career fit into the greater scheme of things, how she left Ike and she... She, she had this messy divorce and stuff, and she basically gave Ike everything, and, she, and he left her nothing and so except bills, and so she needed to go work for a while to be able to pay off these bills, and that led kind of a domino effect to someone actually wanting to sign her as a solo act and do something with her, and that led to the Private Dancer album. Understanding that context of where that album comes from and where her solo work comes from, mm-hmm. where the iconic mm-hmm. hair that she had in the 80s comes from, the reason behind that, that's all interesting. And But also what was my biggest takeaway from this is how every single time she was being interviewed... She was constantly being reminded of Ike Turner, constantly being asked about Ike Turner, constantly being asked about her experience with Ike Turner. And it was just like she was always being asked to relive some of the worst moments in her life and how ultimately that takes a toll. And that really made me empathize and and understand a little bit better what she was being put through media wise yeah over several several years so i i I was very pleased with tina i I recommend that documentary on hbo max i gave that film an eight out of ten yeah i give it a nine all right next we moved away from the rock doc and, and and instead moved into a different type of doc we watched street gang I think it's also subtitled How We Got to Sesame Street. (laughs) This is a documentary that was released in 2021 about the creation of Sesame Street and the it's 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 early years, more or less the first decade or so of this beloved, very long running uh, generational icon of a children's show. Shanna, why don't you share some of your thoughts about about this documentary and your relationship maybe with Sesame Street knowledge ahead of time and and what this documentary did for you? Sesame Street was definitely around at some point growing up, but where it prominently was for my household was the first few computer games that we got were Sesame Street themed. And so they had a few clips in there and, and that was our exposure to Sesame Street. And then when I moved to America, looking after kids, uh, when I when I got to look after the very young ones, I, Sesame Street was what we were going to watch, and it was very exciting. And I even have the Sesame. I'm a big fan. I have the Sesame Street Lego kit, and I I just I love the show. I love the characters. I got to see a Jim Henson exhibit, and at the exhibit there was a little bit about Sesame Street, but a lot about what else Jim Henson worked on. Right. And so I'm a big fan of, you know, Muppets and uh, storytelling through Muppets and Jim Henson's work and everybody behind educational TV for children Mm -hmm. um, is very important. And I, I rather enjoy that. 
It would have been really cool if they had like a Mr. Rogers neighborhood crossover with Sesame Street. Mm. Um, I don't think that exists, but that would certainly be attempted now. Mm. I enjoyed this documentary. I thought it was great to see how they were forming this community, yeah. how they were trying to figure out how to make engaging content that was meaningful. Mm-hmm. And context they showed what was around them at the time and it was very sort of gently violent clown smacking things and on television and slapstick violence i guess and it was just so nice to see someone working on people working on substance for mm. children and not treating them like idiots that just want to be entertained well it was like one of the first things that showed that television could television programming for kids could be educational yeah yeah it could be helpful it could get them ready for school Mm -hmm. could give them confidence Mm -hmm. and then you know hearing from each person that was involved and seeing the footage of how they got certain shots done was really great Mm -hmm. yeah i think this is actually an excellent documentary i i think that it is at times moving. I think it's at times funny. I think it's at times charming. Uh, and it's all informative. Uh, all of it. I, I mean, like, I didn't realize because the Muppets are so essential to Sesame Street, I didn't realize this was not a Jim Henson <laughs> show. Yeah. I, that he was it that was someone else a couple other people developing the show one person who was running the show and that henson essentially was approached about the show but man that was that was interesting for me because like you take out the muppets and you don't have a whole lot left in that show you know what i mean so they are such a crucial element of that of that series and you know jim henson and his pal Frank Oz were on set like probably every single day. They had so many episodes to shoot in a year. I, I think st- little nuggets like that is fascinating to learn about. But I also think like there's some really moving stuff in it. And then you have like things like uh, outtakes with the Muppets. And dude, like there is there are <laughs> few things as hilarious as outtakes of the Muppets. We've seen two different contexts of it. And I just want to see... I want to see like hours of footage of just yes. mu- of just Muppet outtake footage, you know, because they are really, really funny. And you see a little bit of stuff like that from here, too. So I think it's it's really good. If you grew up with Sesame Street, especially if you grew up during the first couple decades of Sesame Street, you really should check out this documentary. I think you will find a lot of value in it so i give street gain a nine out of ten awesome me too awesome next we move away from documentaries onto just a handful more movies uh the next one is called honk for jesus save (laughs) your soul written and directed by adama ibo starring regina hall sterling k brown nicole bahari it is basically a, what do you call it? a faux documentary, a, 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 a mock doc, basically, about this couple who, who had this mega church. Mm. And there was a scandal, and their entire congregation left. 
as their megachurch was closed and they're trying to reopen this megachurch, right? This seems like material that is ripe for so much comedy and hilarity and skewering. Regina Hall is in it. Oh my gosh, she's amazing. Sterling K. Brown is in it. Was the movie amazing and did it live up to all that potential? (laughs) The movie itself was not amazing. I loved the, the actors. I thought they were fantastic. They were the best part. And I enjoy watching Regina in any capacity, like watching her in the movie, great. Watching her at the Golden Globes, <laughs> having a good time on stage. I will watch this woman doing whatever she wants to do. And I think it was a good film. It was a good film. How okay. Uh, this is apparently a directorial debut from Adama Ibo, who, has, you know, he's done an episode of Atlanta, but he's done mostly small films, like short films. And I don't think he was able to really handle the tone of this film successfully. I think this film is very uneven in its tone. I think the marketing leads you to believe this is going to be a very funny movie. And I'm not sure if it had any scenes that were very funny and lived up to, as you kind of suggest, the potential of someone like Regina Hall. I think this also is a film that's kind of inconsistent with its style because it does kind of frame itself as this mockumentary. But then you have scenes that very clearly are outside of that. You know, so it, it kind of becomes confused or just it, just not cohesive as a as a whole. So you can kind of forgive that if the whole movie was consistently entertaining and and worked its its magic on on it with its tone of being sort of a satire of mega churches and 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 that whole culture but i don't well, think it was successful like, at that i think also like couples that might look good on mm-hmm. stage mm-hmm. but aren't actually good for each other beyond that yeah yeah so that was interesting so yeah even though yeah you're right there's inconsistencies with the framing of you know different shots but i i did like the private moments too Mm. I was disappointed. We almost had this as a main event review back at the beginning of fall, uh, and uh, it didn't it didn't work out. And I think it worked out for the better for us. I give Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, a five out of ten. I give it a six. Hmm. All right. So moving right along here to Ticket to Paradise. The year's rom-com, basically. Talking about couples that don't belong together. <laughs> Conventional rom-com, I should say, because there was another rom-com that most people didn't see compared to Ticket to Paradise, so they should have. Bros, you should really hunt that yeah. down, see it. This is Ticket to Paradise. This is a movie that's all about the star power of Julia Roberts and George Clooney together trying to stop their daughter, played by Caitlin Dever, from having her... A destination wedding, right? They have big hopes and dreams for her. I don't her. know if it's a, is it really a destination wedding? I mean, it's where her fiance lives. I mean, yeah, but for like, 
it, it's a very exotic locale. It's often considered uh, a destination wedding is uh, like an exotic locale, right? Uh-huh. Away from where like your people necessarily are. It's all about well, okay. His people, I mean, right? like like us getting married down the street there was not a destination wedding for my parents because you live here. Yeah. And I'm gonna live here. I, I so hear I'm I'm gonna push back a little f- All right, more. Fine. <laughs> we'll we'll bicker over the, the, the definition of destination wedding later. What did you think of Ticket to Paradise? Did it live up to being as fun and enjoyable as it looked on the trailer? Um, it wasn't as funny as I thought it was gonna be. You know, this is another example of trailers showing you all the good stuff and then you get there and like what's left you know it was mostly just like shocking behavior and it was nice to see someone who you know this girl has just graduated from law school she's about to work at a law firm but she's having a little vacation break and she meets the love of her life and the life that she wants actually so I I thought that that was all very interesting I like how it was put together Uh, did it live up to the expectations I didn't have high expectations for this film so in a way, it did. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I think this movie's fine. This is the kind of movie that my mom would call light entertainment. And if that's what you're looking for in movies, you know, after a hard day's work or whatever, this is going to more than satisfy. It's just fine. It's very predictable. But it, I think it gets by on its star power, right? Like... George Clooney and Julia Roberts are fucking insufferable in the first half hour of this movie. And if it wasn't Julia Roberts and George Clooney playing these characters, I would be checking out. Like, I would not care anymore. I'd be like, fuck these people. (laughs) Like, they suck. And it's kind of about, like, do those characters go through any sort of an arc or do they not? Do they succeed in their schemes? You know, in a way, there's just a just a pinch of my best friend's wedding in here in the sense of Julia Roberts scheming to stop someone's wedding. And she's a hateful bitch in that movie. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) But she gets by because it's Julia fucking Roberts, you know? I think a little bit of that is in Ticket to Paradise. It's, it's totally fine. You know, it's not great. It's enjoyable enough. And people clearly had a good time. Uh, filming together and and that's obvious in the special features as well as you have Caitlin Dever and Billy Lord who are friends and George Clooney and Julia Roberts who are friends uh, starring together so that's kind of the expectations I would have you go into this movie with I give it a six out of ten yeah I give it a five. Oh yeah okay so you like that less the less than me all right so Lastly, as far as the movies go, we have one more. X. Then we have that. <laughs> then we have that. The very wow. very opposite of Ticket to Paradise. This is a, a slasher film, kind of a sensation this year, about a 1970s porn crew with, with big dreams for their project. <laughs> uh, going to... I mean, it looks like... They had a chance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they they go. uh, Apparently, they have a destination in rural Texas, I believe, if I remember correctly. No, it must be like more like uh, Alabama, given some of the things that happened in the movie. 
this 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 rural farm they they have a house that they're renting to stay in while they shoot their movie this house is owned by a very old it's couple. rural texas it is rural texas i was right okay all right yeah 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 that that's kind of obvious because of certain movies it's referencing so it's owned by a, a very very old couple who are a little suspicious and a little weird. So, Shanna, this is a movie that have been has been on our minds for months to see. For a long time, I was on the fence of whether or not I wanted to see it because it seemed like it might have some imagery that I wouldn't be able to unsee. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I was nervous about going best, into best it. It's best to watch those at home. Yeah, so yeah. what did you think of X? Was it like the best horror film you saw from last year or was it just okay? Well, I don't know if it was the best. I, I think I liked No Better. Mm-hmm. But this certainly was very well done. It incorporated a few themes like, you know, okay, the very young versus the very old and the very capable of moving and mobility yeah. versus mobility issues and stiffness and years of your body being knocked, you know. So there were those lovely contrasts within this horror film and so i just thought that that was very interesting uh how they were playing with that they were even playing playing with sensuality between young and old and i i don't think we see enough of we don't see old people just being sensual and Uh and things like that so i actually appreciated that that was being incorporated into the film i thought the story was well done it seems like it seems like we need to watch Pearl and there's something else coming next year or this yes, year. Yes, yes. So to clarify, there was a prequel shot back to back to this film called Pearl that came out six months later. And then should those two films do well enough, they had planned on making a third film called Maxine. And I won't tell you when that takes place as risking spoiling anything. Sure. I mean, but... I think you should share with the listeners how much the movie made because I think it's a phenomenal achievement. So the movie was made on a $1 million budget, which you could see on screen. Yeah. That is, that's actually... It was pretty decent. Yes, it's 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 cheaply made, not, but not so cheaply made that mm. it feels cheap, right? And that's the great thing about the horror genre is it's very easy easy for them to make profits because they can make these things on a low budget. And and this movie did. It made $15 million in its lifetime box office gross. So 15 times its budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's that's really good. So yes, it, you know, it wasn't one of the most successful movies of the year financially, you know, it it like didn't even break into the top 50 movies of the year, which is surprising because it, it did seem popular. It, but it, you know, it was still able to beat Bodies, 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 which is interesting <laughs> to me, and some other horror films. I think this is one of, if not the best horror movie of 2022. I think we had a great year for horror and thrillers, too. I would count the menu and the black phone as thrillers more than horror films. And, and this is up there. Uh, Nope. Sci-fi horror. You know, it's up there with X. I have to rewatch it though. Cause it's been several months, but yes, this is a solid film. I think what you're talking about with this contrast, like this movie, the script was deliberately chosen to be about a a porn crew (laughs) for 
the purpose of contrasting the young and virile with the old and decrepit, right? And how... Those were not my words. (laughs) Well, but, like, you know, know, essentially. But how, like, we've seen movies about people who, like, mourn the loss of youth and all this. And now you here you have it a little more potently where it's like, no, they're they're mourning the loss of their their physical youth, right? Mm-hmm. Like their their ability to have sex, to be intimate, to to look a certain way, all this sort of stuff. I've never seen a film depict this particular theme before, yeah. and I give it a lot of props for that. It's also Definitely. just a really lean and it just it just moves and it's not in a rush to get to all the kills and the gore it takes 40 minutes of setup and i definitely appreciate like all the best horror films pretty much take their time before they get to the the nitty-gritty and you know here we have like a crew of six people or whatever you know and Mm. it 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 takes its time and allows just the second half of the movie to be all about that sort of stuff so Mm. i i appreciate x quite a bit i gave x an eight out of ten yeah i i would give it an eight as well all right so those are the the movies we have been watching on our weekend review just to run through those to kind of catch up Violent Night, Shanna, your you uh your score on that one? Um, Violent Night, probably a seven. A seven out of ten. It was one of my favorite movies of the year for sure. I gave it a seven out of ten. Also, Babylon. Oh God, probably a five, just because it's really just, it's so crazy. Oh like, wow, wow. Uh, a lot I, of good things in it, but like not for me. Seven out of ten for sure. The good outweighs the bad for that one for me. Selena Gomez, My Mind and Me. It looks like we're both fans of of that film. I gave it an eight out of ten. How about you? Right. Well, I, I think I mentioned it earlier, and I don't recall. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll have you give that information. We were both positive later. on that film. The yeah. Go Go's we differed on. I gave that a seven out of ten. You gave that one a 4 out of 10. Tina, about Tina Turner, I gave it 8 out of 10. We're both very positive on that one, right? Yeah. Excellent. We both recommend that. Street Gain, I gave a 9 out of 10. The documentary about Sesame Street. Shanna, you were also pretty positive on that film as well. Yes. Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. We were not positive on one of the few movies. That but I we... was one point higher than you. Yes, I gave it uh, a five. You gave it a six, I believe. Ticket to Paradise, I gave a six out of ten. Kind of mediocre as far as I'm concerned. Low standard rom-com. I gave it a five. You liked it less than me even. And X, which I gave an eight out of ten, was quite pleased with. So hopefully... That helps you with our recommendations of which ones to see, which ones not to see. We end the show with the second season of Only Murders in the Building. The move, the show that inspired me to check out Selena Gomez's uh, documentary and shortly her music catalog too. What did you think of Only Murders in the Building season two? Did it? Uh, did you like it? Even the show even more because of it? less did it not work for you as much or was was it just maintaining consistency 
I think I liked it just as much, maybe a little more, because it's like we get to see the characters come back and do more of their thing, and there's a little more personal story happening with with each of them. So I, I think I enjoyed it more just a little bit. So this season dives in even further. When we were left off with season one, the trio were basically being arrested for reasons I won't go into, but... I liked this show at the end of season one. I am all in and love this show at the end of season two. And I will not be missing this show uh, when it drops uh, in the future. So I really liked it. I think it's very clever. I think I'm able now to spot the red herrings that this show (laughs) drops along the way of, of, of who's responsible for what's going on. I also went back and watched the first two episodes of the entire series. Yeah. And I was very, I was struck by how much is in just the first episode alone that pays off in season two. You know, just uh, ideas or people that are introduced, uh, elements of characters that are introduced that aren't paid off until season two. And I find that very interesting and uh, it made me appreciate the show even more. So, Shanna, do you have any additional thoughts about season two? And what would you score it? I wish I watched the first two episodes again with you. <laughs> when did you do that? <laughs> uh, I don't know when, but I showed our son. <laughs> oh, okay. I was away. Yeah, I really love this show. I don't think I have any other thoughts about it. I can't guess who it is. Which says a lot because you pride yourself on being able to. Yeah, well, apparently I'm really rusty or something. Yeah, you're losing some, your touch. <laughs> you know, we'll watch some murder she wrote to get my stamina back up, <laughs> get my Columbo in. Yeah, I think it's a great show. I, I give it a nine. Awesome. That's Only Murders in the Building, available on Hulu. And we highly recommend you check it out if you haven't. That will do it for this very large week in review what are your favorite movies or tv shows that we talked about in this episode which ones do you like the least that maybe you have seen uh, or which ones are you more excited about after we talked about feel free to email us at the gibson review at gmail.com shanna before we talked about the future of the movie lovers why don't you share with people what they can where they can find you online you can find me at Spellbinding A on Flickchart and on Instagram, Shanna Paxton Photography. Go to the GibsonReview.com. That is the main place to go. You will find all kinds of articles and reviews on there. My past, uh, let's see, what was it? I think it was just a recently one article that was the best and worst of 2022. If you have not had an opportunity to read that yet, I highly recommend it. Even if you haven't seen very many movies from last year, maybe it can help give you some recommendations to prioritize uh, what to see and what not to see. Also, follow us on social media, the Facebook.com slash the Gibson Review and on Instagram, the Gibson 99. I do bracket polls there. We just wrapped up your favorite 2022 movie, and that was just barely, but I want to say it was like 54% in favor of the Batman over everything, everywhere, all at once. So that was a very exciting poll. 
Well, you know, <laughs> they, it was our top two seeded movies, favorites of ours. So can't can't be too upset. Yeah, look for future polls on that account, the Gibson ninety nine on Instagram. All right, so upcoming. Uh, for the movie lovers, pretty soon we'll get back to our regular three-episode rotation that starts with the Week in Review. But first, we're going to go right to a Film Faves episode because really this year, it, you know, the beginning of the year does not have much for in the way of movies worth of reviewing. So we're not going to review anything next week. We will be talking about our favorite courtroom dramas... We're preparing for that right now. You can look for that on Tuesday, January 24th. More to come about future episodes of the movie lovers at the end of that episode. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.